Hello, Michael. Hello, Evan. Uh, so there is a movie about a skateboarding Christmas dog, but as a present to us, I decided we would uh, table that until next year. And instead, <laughs> we're going to do one of our uh, special off-brand episodes where we talk about stuff that is not necessarily skateboarding movies, and uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite holiday specials. And to join us to discuss holiday specials is one of, uh, at least in the circle of people I know, the biggest holiday special enthusiasts that I know. We have Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast. Hello. Hey, guys. Great to be back. It's great to have you back. When, uh, you know, where I was thinking about, like, I, I had a lot of fun doing the the vampire movie one, and then this was coming up. I am always, like, inflicting classic Christmas specials on my children. And I was like, it would be nice to to talk about some of these because very few of them have skateboarding in them. It's true. <laughs> we, I mean, we already did bad Santa and that's the greatest holiday slash skateboarding movie of all time. So how are we going to, how are we going to top that? Yeah. I, I can't think of any there. There's no skateboarding leaping to mind from uh, the old Christmas specials. I'm sure they're out there, but I know that there's a, a Davy and Goliath. They they did a, a new Davy and Goliath Christmas cartoon, oh, 10, 12 years ago. And that was skateboarding. It was like Davy's Skateboard Christmas or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, well, we missed the yeah. boat or, out there. Where were we on that one, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, or skiboard. I guess it's a skiboard. He was skiing. Ah, uh, skiboard. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, see. yeah, yeah. That's it. I was I was trying to pay attention to one, one of mine uh, – you know, it's like a Christmas thing, so you know the the kids will be getting toys, and I assume there would be a skateboard at least in the bath background of one of these, and I did not, I did not see one. So, oh well, what are you gonna do? I would note too, like, I I don't know what all y'all's opinion is on this, but in my head, there is a very clear distinction between a Christmas movie and a Christmas special. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because some people I talk, I speak to, like will say like oh my favorite christmas movies are uh national lampoon's christmas vacation and rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and i was and i you know <laughs> i bite my tongue and don't say <laughs> rudolph is a special not a movie um but for the purposes of this we're talking about christmas specials which in my head are things that are like made to air on television during the holiday season and are usually and are not a made for tv movie Right. Well, and I was under the impression, so I think that's where the the line got fuzzy, because I think I was under the impression that the Muppets Christmas Carol mm. was a Christmas special. Uh, but it it's it's more in the realm of, a, I guess, did it have a theatrical release? It that, did have a theatrical release. Oh, well, then, release. then there you go. Yeah, that that's so. So correct. Corrected. I stood, Kevin. It, uh, <laughs> it did not do well at the box office at the time, but I feel it has uh, grown in estimation. It's fantastic. In the subsequent years. Um, and uh, we we can talk about something. Like, it's hard because the Muppets have a lot of Christmassy stuff. Some, oh, of, yeah. which, some of which may be covered tonight. But let's – so I, I don't know. Uh, Kevin, what what are your thoughts on, on Christmas specials? I'm so obsessed with – Christmas specials, especially the old stuff, you know, going back probably 80s and earlier is my era. And uh, and I, I, I luckily married someone who was also pretty obsessed with the Christmas specials. And 
I, I tell this to people all the time that we communicate, Felicity and I communicate through quotes from Christmas specials, like obscure quotes that no one would recognize as coming from a Christmas special. That's how we speak to each other all year long. I think I was I was hanging out with the two of you once and one of you like yelled at the other, like the tenor section was weak. Yes. Which is a line from Rudolph. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I was like, nice. these are people I should be friends with. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get it started with you, Kevin. What is uh, the first of your, we're each doing three picks. So what is okay. the first of your three picks? Well, let me, I didn't even plan an order for these. So let's go with oh, maybe the weirdest one on my list and that would be 1977's a cosmic christmas this is done by the nelvana animation company yes if i'm not mistaken canadian animation studio nelvana uh, who did a lot over the years and they did this wave of odd little cartoon specials uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. They're kind of hard to find by any legitimate means these days, although they generally you can find them on YouTube. The Cosmic Christmas was the first one, and it's it's quite wonderful. And it's it's a cartoon that most people don't know about, uh, not terribly well known. And I saw it a lot when I was a kid, uh, one of the UHF channels, like probably channel 25 out of Boston, you know, who was kind of the the lowest ranking of the UHF stations out of Boston. I'm guessing it was 25 or 38, but I, a couple of friends and I remember seeing a cosmic Christmas on TV at Christmas time, practically every night, some channel ran it multiple times every year, and we would just watch it every night. They must have gotten a cheap syndication package for it. I watched this tonight because I knew you were going to mention it, and uh, it's it's on YouTube. But there's also like kind of a legitimate uh, streaming service called Amoeba, which I had never heard of. <laughs> wow. uh, but you can sort of subscribe that you can get a free trial through Amazon Prime for wow. seven days. So I sort of. Got the free trial, watched a Cosmic Christmas, canceled the free trial tonight. Never heard of um, it. Amoeba. I had never heard of it either. It's all uh, children's programming, but sort of the uh, children's programming, like their their big marquee thing seems to be Babar the Elephant. Okay. Um, but they also have <laughs> A Cosmic Christmas, which is a very bizarre special, but I, I think the animation looks super cool. I've never heard of it. I've I've I have no most people don't know it, Michael. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. The animation—it's fun. It's very uh, kind of bouncy. There's a lot of movement. It—it it doesn't look cheap. Like they were really drawing, and and everything kind of has a life to it on screen. And uh, so the the basic story of a Cosmic Christmas is it's it's a kid in a little small town. He has a pet goose, and a spaceship lands with these three giant aliens come out and they're essentially uh playing the part of the wise men they're 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 sort of a stand-in for the three wise men but these are aliens who have come to earth because they are looking for christmas they're trying to learn about christmas they find themselves in this small town and get caught up in the middle of this drama with this kid and the the, the bad kids in town who are stealing his goose uh meanwhile they're trying to celebrate christmas with the family there's Lots of characters in it, lots of uh, 
just odd little visuals. Uh, the music is quite nice. It, it's a really an odd, wonderful cartoon. There appeared for a brief time a great star which manifests itself in the heavens. Oh, you must mean the star of Bethlehem. Star of Bethlehem? That has no meaning. Our mission is to search for the meaning of that star. You must mean Christmas. I learned something weird about this uh, just recently. And, and, and Kevin, I, I know that you saw the, uh, the new documentary about the Star Wars holiday special. I was going to mention this, that... Yeah, Cosmic Christmas comes up <laughs> in that documentary. It turned out that George Lucas saw a Cosmic Christmas, and that's why he selected Nelvana to do the animation, the, the cartoons segment of Star Wars Holiday Special, which introduced Boba Fett, was animated by Nelvana as a direct result of a Cosmic Christmas. And then Nelvana stayed in the Star Wars game because Nelvana also animated uh droids did they do ewoks too yes yes yeah they did the 80s star wars animation they stuck with nelvana i felt like droids looked way more nelvana than the ewoks cartoon yes. did yes um droids was like a weird looking cartoon too I, I i nelvana have a very specific look and they didn't they did a ton of like you said they did a few weird specials that showed up on UHF stations around here in the early yep. 80s. I don't remember a Cosmic Christmas. I remember one or two other ones. Yeah, there's an Easter show, the Easter special called Easter Fever, which is also just wild. It's Garrett Morris is the voice of the Easter Bunny. And oh, really? It's like That's the, awesome. e the Easter Bunny is at a celebrity roast being roasted. So there's all these like animal parodies of celebrities of the time. It, it's astonishing. Well, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I got to look that up next. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Our favorite Easter special show. There's, the, there's a Shakespearean robot cartoon called Romeo and Julie 8. That one I have seen. Quite nice. Yeah. Uh, the Devil and Daniel Mouse is great. John Sebastian did the music for a couple of these. Uh, I don't think he worked on Cosmic Christmas but yeah, they, they did some really beautiful work just in this in the, that same era, late 70s. But Cosmic Christmas, absolutely a favorite of mine. Fantastic. Michael, hit us with one of your picks. Oh, man, I went I'm going to go with the sort of the marquee one because uh, I picked, you know, I, I, I the, the other two are, oh, I guess, not really obscure, but a little a little less uh, on the nose pun intended but i went with rudolph the red-nosed reindeer yes uh just be well and it's it's funny because the based entirely on the fact that even as a little kid i loved the idea of the elf who wanted to be the dentist i just thought that was so like you know to be totally surrounded by all this magical stuff and, the, and it's like well somebody's got to be the fucking dentist does you know he I mean like <laughs> like don't don't we also need you know somebody who's like you know helping people with their dentifrice and all you know maybe a a podiatrist or whatever so i just as a little kid i you know even the you know as a when i first saw it as a young young kid i just thought that was the funniest con you know concept uh, and it really stuck with me. Herbie doesn't like to make toys. 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 Toys. Do you mind telling me what you do want to do? Well, sir, someday I'd like to be a, a dentist. A dentist? 
Well, we need one up here. I've been studying its fascinating. You've no idea. Molars and bicuspids and incisors. Now, listen, you. You're an elf. And elves make toys. Now, get to work. I also kind of fell into sort of an internet hole because I didn't realize that I, like many people, were convinced that the reason it's one of those mandala effect things where I was convinced that the reason that the abominable snowman was so pissed off was because he had a toothache (laughs) and that, and that uh, Hermie fixed his toothache and then he suddenly became a lot, but that's not the case at all. It's like, there was like, you know, the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. There's they basically just, take his teeth out and, yes. and 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 like stump him as a but it, but it was i i didn't realize like when i looked that up because i you know i watched the special and i was like wait a minute what happened to the toothache and it was just i'm wondering oh. and you know i didn't have enough time to really dig into it but i was i wonder like what i'm remembering where if maybe there was a monster because you know it, it's similar to the idea of the monster with like a thorn in his foot there were there were different versions of Rudolph that have aired throughout the years. Anyway, the original airing didn't have the scene where Santa goes to pick up the misfit toys. Right. Um, but like huh. so many kids called and complained that they were sad that the misfit toys had just been forgotten about, that they added the scene for subsequent viewings where Santa showed up to pick up the misfit toys. Well, apparently even, even Burl Ives was kind of a second, a second thought. Uh, they, they, you know, a, a lot of the voice acting done in Rudolph is Canadian voice actors, uh, but they wanted somebody who had a little bit more recognition. So they br- brought Burl Ives in, but he, that's why he's only sort of narrating it. And he's sort of tacked on to the beginning and the end because they wanted somebody with a little bit more voice recognition. Yeah, they, they were, they were kind of figuring out the, uh, the template. This was the first Rankin Bass Christmas special and one of the first Christmas specials at all. So yeah, and that that kind of that was the formula going forward was there would be a host, generally like an old old show business celebrity host, right, right, a character kind of guiding you through the story, which started yeah with Burl Ives, but that there were a yeah that there were a, two or three changes were made after the first airing. Yeah, re- returning to the island, they switched out one of the songs as well. And there's also a little minor scene towards the end that got trimmed out of uh, later viewings. The, the actual motive of Yukon Cornelius is revealed, and then that little scene was cut out. What is, what is the motive that he is it that the in my head it has to be that the that the abominable snowman has like gold teeth or something like that? Yeah, almost. It's because he's always flipping the pickaxe up in the air and it crashes yeah. down. Then he licks it, you know, and he's, he's looking for is he looking for gold? He's looking for silver. At the very end, he reveals that he's looking for peppermint. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Peppermint mining. Okay. Yeah. But that that yeah. scene right towards the end, that scene w- was cut out. Huh. That's again, that's that's one of those things that I just never I thought it was just a weird quirk of uh, of old Yukon. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he was looking for the which totally makes sense. He would he would pick up the peppermint on the on the ice pick. And especially in animation and stop motion animation, it's very unusual for them to have gone back and added that scene the way they did and to have deleted scenes just because animation is so 
expensive and time consuming to make that it's not like live action stuff where okay we'll shoot that now cut that scene out add this you know do multiple takes they don't do that stuff in, in stop motion it's this is exactly what we're doing down to the second for the most part the first nine seconds took a year and a half oh so yeah oh yeah that's it yeah yeah it's sort of horrifying what they do to the bumble yeah man and <laughs> that he wasn't a villain you know trying to stop christmas or anything he was just a natural predator in the arctic just trying to survive and that's his thing he's he catches and eats animals because that's what predators do and and then yeah for Hermie to rip all his teeth out at <laughs> the end like, <laughs> look, he was gonna eat clarice yeah oh yeah <laughs> right, right there would not always be tomorrow if he did that <laughs> I, I always i also forgot that rudolph like it like some time spans he like re-emerges as like a teenager oh yeah I didn't I didn't realize that he yeah it's one of those things like I you know you see it a million times every year as a kid and then I don't think I had watched it in my entire adult life so when I was watching I was like oh a lot of this holds up well but yeah the castrating the (laughs) castrating the abominable snowman at the teeth uh for 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 uh for convenience purposes is a little harsh (laughs) I gotta say I watched some as an adult but then when I had kids it was like all right, we're fucking doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and I have really gone hard on Christmas specials since having kids and be like, which ones do they like? Which ones don't they like? And mm. Rudolph is a popular one. Sure. With yeah. the kids like that, that is, they request it. Uh, my son, Alexander, I think when he was three was like very upset with how mistreated Rudolph was by the other reindeer. I mean, I mean it's. Oh yeah. Everybody in Christmas town is a monster. Yes, Santa is terrible. Yes. Oh yeah, um, Santa, Rudolph's father, the coach, all the other all of the other reindeer as as they say. Yeah. They're yeah. just monstrous. They're all terrible, but I love everything about this special. I love the songs, I love the misfit toys. Adore King Moonracer. What is his yes. deal? He's a winged lion. He's just a winged lion cold chilling with the misfit toys like I got you. Guys. He's like, yeah. no, you can't. You can't be on this island. You're on a misfit toy. <laughs> we have had discussions on my goofy podcast about King Moonracer because yeah, there's so much to figure out about the island of misfit toys. It's it, you, you can we can get into you pick it apart and get into some bizarre theories and such, which I have. Uh, but what I always come back to though about this show rudolph 1964 imagine what this looked like to kids in 1964 to see something like this on tv that no one had ever seen before how their heads must have exploded yeah i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of stuff kind of like you know can you imagine i always think of it in terms of can you imagine being like a 14 year old kid and hearing fucking black sabbath for the first time and just be like jesus christ you know (laughs) and yeah i I can i can assume that seeing the the uh the original rudolph the red-nosed reindeer must have had the same effect like toys are real like yeah that that must have been crazy and like 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 you said kevin this was the first rankin bass holiday special and they went on to have an imperial phase in the genre (laughs) i'd say for at least at least through the mid-70s yes and uh, they kept going on after that, but I feel like they really put out some bangers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they were on a run. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the the, the Rankin-Bass era 
if yeah, it would start in 64 and it as as far as holiday specials it ran through 85 uh the life and adventures of santa claus in 85 but yeah those the last handful are generally not remembered along with the the cl- they're all great i love them all but but the, those last few from the 80s tend to get overlooked understandably because that they don't stand up to the classics from the 60s and 70s they are not as beloved as uh rudolph and frosty and i really like santa claus is coming to town i think that that special is fantastic that's not one of my picks because there's so many great christmas specials but i think like i love how young jessica claus has a psychedelic freak out at one point (laughs) when that hair comes down yeah i I love that special <laughs> so much because um, Year Without a Santa Claus is the one everyone always points to. But I honestly right. feel that that one is not as strong as Santa Claus is coming to town. It just has higher highs with Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Miser brothers are, are just pop off the screen such that, that uh, yeah, people are will still freak out over, over that one. But yeah, Santa Claus is coming to town. I agree. Just such a magnificent piece of storytelling and we were just talking about this on the flopcast this week because we did a, a top four and a half list of santas and yeah that show just the way they weave in and explain every single aspect of the santa claus legend they craft it all into why does he wear the red suit why does he have a beard what's up with the stockings with the chimney with the reindeer why is he called both claws and chris kringle and they come up with an explanation for everything and just weave it into his life story. And there's also, there's also a song he sings about how if, if you want a toy, you have to give me a kiss. (laughs) Just a strange man blows into town, sits down at the fountain, hop on my leg children and kiss me. And I'll give you a toy. There's nothing weird about this. You sit on my lap today, a kiss, a toy is the price you'll pay. When you tell what you wish for in a whisper, be prepared to pay. It's very bizarre, and I love it. Um, For my first pick, I'm going uh, far into the future from yours, Michael, into the year 1965 (laughs) with... uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, which oh, man. I think, like you talked about, like people's minds being blown by Rudolph. Like to have, like you think about, like no cartoons with kids had little kids doing the voices before this, right? Right. Um, and I heard that CBS executives were so horrified by it, they were like, "Okay, we paid for it. We're going to air it once, and then like never, we shall never speak of it again." And then it, you know, it has become, I would say. It, Roughly as beloved as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, if not more so. Um, I think it is, like, legitimately funny. Uh, I think it is the purest distillation of what made the Peanuts comic strip great in televised form. There are, of course, other, like, really great Peanuts specials. But this was the first one, and I don't think it's been surpassed. Um, The score by Vince Guaraldi is amazing. The way it captures the kind of melancholy of the holiday season mm-hmm. is like, again, you did not see that in like a chill in a program aimed at children. Right. Well, especially that. at 65 when that was, it was all so new. 
it begs the question, has, an, has a network executive ever been right about anything in the fucking history of <laughs> network television? Like, it's they're always wrong, 100% wrong all the time. <laughs> and I, I think these the, the very early Christmas specials got away with being weirder than the later ones because once there was a formula and – once people understood, okay, here's the Christmas cartoons every year, and they all had to kind of settle into a template and settle into a style. And yeah, Rudolph, which was really setting the template, and Charlie Brown, which was like nothing else, they could be more special just because they were first. Like, I'm personally not religious, uh, but I I always find it amusing, like how so much of the cultural ephemera around Christmas goes out of its way to ignore any religious implication of Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I'd say I'm a person who's like a huge fan of the cultural celebration of Christmas. I like trees. I like songs. um, But I do like that a Charlie Brown Christmas, like sticks it in your fucking face. This is a religious (laughs) holiday. And again, the, the network executives like did not want that. And Charles Schultz, who also wasn't super religious, uh, fought for it because he was like, look, it's a Christmas special. They're going to talk about what Christmas is. Yeah. It's like a deeply affecting scene, I think. And it also kind of doesn't come out of nowhere. Like Lucy hands Linus a script and says, and Linus is like, I can't memorize all these lines. <laughs> and I think that's the speech he gives is those lines he was handed. Yeah. Um, but I I think a Charlie Brown Christmas is uh like nearly flawless. It, you know, it's funny that it it never occurred to me as a kid, or right up until that you mentioned it, of like why why the voiceover work is so special. And it's because it's actually little kids. And you know what I mean? Like I there's something that's so sincere about the words that they're saying. And I, for a long time, I just I hung it on that they found just the right kids. But it had not really occurred to me that it's just that it's kids. They're actual little kids, you know, because the worry is always are the are the are the voice actors going to be able to sort of nail, you know, we, when you read something like that, like Peanuts for all those years you had the, the voice the characters have voices in your head they're always you mm-hmm. and i always felt like with the peanuts like that's that's a, a perfect representation and i've realized now that you said it it's because they're they're kids they even let the kids speak with flaws in in their speech and, and i know sally has a line where she actually kind of gets caught on a word and resets it like like she she repeats the same word twice i I forget now which line it is but it sounds very natural like this was just the kid catching on a word awkwardly and then starting over and they that's in the show it's it's really good and i do think when we were like when we were kids in the 70s and 80s peanuts on television was such a thing that i don't think i separated it from the comic strip to me it was all just peanuts and it was a comic strip and and I probably saw a cartoon before I knew how to read. I don't know if I had that thing where I was like, that's not what Charlie Brown sounds like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah to that to, makes to sense. me, the, the cartoons, the animated Charlie Brown specials, that's my main uh, exposure to Peanuts. Like I, I would get some of the book collections and read the strips, but like I don't think I got a regular exposure to 
peanuts in a newspaper. Like I don't think the one socket call carried peanuts. And I usually didn't see a Sunday paper when I was a kid. So, so like t- to me, it was the, the, the cartoons were first to me. And then the, the, the newspaper strip second, well, the Providence Journal carried peanuts. Hey, there you go. Yeah. The, oh, those those big city papers for you uh, highfalutin folks reading the Providence Journal. Sure. I always think about that. There was that era in like the very like the you know the mid to late eighties when the Providence Journal like ran like the Far Side, Calvin and Hobbes, Broome right. County. Like it was just like the, every day was like this gift that you were you were given, but it was like the greatest comic strip of all time. I, I think by that time I had access to the journal. I remember the journal having having a very impressive comic section. The uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. And you know, speaking of the comic strips, it, 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 many of the the jokes and the lines in it, they were stitching together peanut strips. You know, so a lot of the the pacing of it in in places is quite odd because there are scenes where they're just kind of moving from one newspaper strip style joke to the next you know a lot of those early scenes um and you can kind of if you have that in mind you can kind of pick out like oh yeah that's a comic strip that's a comic strip these different exchanges through it uh before they really get into the main plot everyone talks about how great beethoven was beethoven wasn't so great what do you mean beethoven wasn't so great he never got his picture on bubblegum cards, did he? Have you ever seen his picture on a bubblegum card? Hmm? How can you say someone is great who's never had his picture on bubblegum cards? Good grief. I always I always love that Snoopy's up to his own he's he's doing his own thing. Like he's he's Charlie Brown's dog and he yep. sleeps on the roof and he gets fed, but he also goes off, he's like has side adventures and fights he won the, the house decorating contest, Michael. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next holiday special. Kevin. Okay, uh, I wanted to include something from Rankin Bass on my list. And man, Michael, I'm glad you hit Rudolph because it was kind of killing me to not have a Rankin Bass stop motion show on my list. But when I was trying to pick something from Rankin Bass, uh, just a, a, and I could have picked any of them. <laughs> I literally could have picked any of them, but just a, a real sentimental favorite of mine is one of the traditionally animated, not stop motion, regular cartoon ones, which they did a lot of. Uh, but I went with "Twas the Night Before Christmas" from 1974. This is a, another great weird special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I love. It has uh, one of my favorite lines in any Rankin Bass special when uh, Father Mouse says to his uh, annoying incel son, Albert, here's <laughs> here's another way you've ruined Christmas for everyone with your opinions. <laughs> I like how they, like when they get to that scene where he's lecturing the son about all the all the uh, damage he's done. That was like a day. We just you get a quick montage of a couple of stops they make around town. But like when when they visit that kid sitting on the beach, I mean the sun is setting at that point. <laughs> like he, he spent like several hours just dragging that kid around town to show him how miserable everybody was. So uh for our listeners who are not f- super familiar with this special Kevin, what is the plot of Twas the Night Before Christmas? Cuz it's cuz it's not the poem. <laughs> it's right, not. Right. Although the poem is in it. Uh, usually when I mention this one to people and you get the blank stare by what, what is that? Then you, I follow that up with, this is the one with the mice and the clock. 
and then some if they've seen it then you'll get oh oh yeah yeah yep i remember that because this is it's a little town called called junctionville and uh yeah a a uh good for nothing uh teenage mouse <laughs> writes a letter to santa which santa takes such offense at that he decides to freeze out the whole town and is not going to deliver any presents to anyone uh human or mouse in the town of junctionville they the local clockmaker hatches a scheme to uh, win back uh, the good graces of santa by building a giant clock which will play a song as santa flies overhead and then he'll like us again and give us stuff uh that's the uh the general idea there there are humans and there are mice and they talk to each other last time i watched this yeah we were really uh my wife and i really breaking down the human mouse uh relationship in this world and just trying to figure it all out because yeah the humans and the mice are aware of each other and there's a scene towards the end where uh trundle the human clockmaker and father mouse uh patriarch of the uh local rodentia scurrying about on their floors like just meet and have a chat late at night like they're cool with each other evidently and and that's when uh that's when joshua trundle learns that the reason his clock failed in front of the entire town was because of father mouse's son and i always wondered yes. at this point why hasn't joshua trundle invested in a- <laughs> it's it, it, I, I love that, that th- those weird cartoon logic choices or not even cartoon logic choices but like the minute that you have you know animals dressed up and talking and acting like people there's always there's like there's always some sort of cracks in that logic like in like the muppets like there are frogs who are Kermit the Frog, who drive cars and play the banjo, but then there are also frogs who are just frogs. And so like you it starts to make you wonder, like, and this kind of comes up in in my uh in my next uh pick, but it starts it makes you wonder like what so wait, have some of the animals been sort of like touched and been gifted with with like abstract thought or like or are some animals just like, you know what, fuck this. I don't want to wear a shirt. I'm I I just want to <laughs> hang out and be a duck. And what is what is even real? It's the, um it's... <laughs> I I really love this special for how bonkers it is. Um, and like it's it's weird for Rankin Bass, I find, who can get super yeah. weird. Um, and it has <laughs> and it has really good songs. There's a song called "Even a Miracle Needs a Hand" that is oh yeah a total banger. Um, what's the other one? Give up the wonder why? Yes, yep. And the uh, yeah, give your heart a try. And and um and even the song that the that the clock plays to lure Santa back to town it is quite lovely. Yeah, yeah, the music's great. So many great songs from Rankin Bass. Is that uh Maury Laws? Yes. Okay. Um yeah, great great uh songwriter for uh for Rankin Bass. And and also we I got to mention Paul Coker as well who the character design in many of the classic Rankin Bass cartoons were by Paul Coker Jr. And you can you can tell like they, that there's a there's a similar look to a bunch of them. He did Frosty, he did Year Without a Santa Claus, and, and a bunch. And you can see the characters, their faces kind of have a similar style. But Paul Coker designed all them and also drew for Mad Magazine. For I was I was just gonna say, yeah. is there a relation yeah. to the the Coker from? That's, yeah, because now I know exactly. That's what the you're... guy, and you can tell if you yeah. look at Paul Coker's art in Mad. 
it looks like the characters in in this cartoon. Oh yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, he's great. I, I got to meet him a, a few years ago, and and it was a uh, just a. Uh, such a thrill just when when their mail is being delivered their their letters are being returned after santa rejects them so there's a human mailman who walks through town and then there's a little mouse mailman who rides on the on the guy's shoulder and like jumps out to deliver the tiny letters to the mice so like there's this infrastructure in place when the uh, father mouse calls the north pole to try to find out what what went wrong with santa and there's a mouse switchboard operator wearing a little santa suit at the north pole and as we're watching this time i start so does this mean there's a telephone system in place for mice specifically and santa has this mouse posted at the north pole to field telephone calls from mice now at the pole substation this is father mouse in junctionville am i coming through the equipment is in working order oh Listen, we want to know what's the matter with Santa. And yet there is not a mouse Santa. There's only the one human Santa. Yeah. But, you know, I started thinking about this year because I started thinking, or is there? Because in the final scene, when we see Santa delivering presents to the humans, you don't see the mice get their gifts from Santa. So is it possible that off screen, off camera, there is a Santa mouse delivering the mouse gifts to the mice. You just blew my mind. Right. And why would they choose? Why would they choose not to? Yeah. If there is, it's ridiculous that we're not seeing it because you'd think that that would be yeah. an important thing yeah. to see, but we can speculate. Well, I've, I've been left here. I've been left here with more questions than answers. I only have the very <laughs> vaguest memory of this. So I'm definitely going to go back and watch this because it sounds fucking crazy it's crazy but at the same time it it's really beautiful and yeah the song the songs are great the characters look great that those paul coker designs so and and it's 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 a short one too it's you know half hour as opposed to the hour format so it, it's a quick really really nice little story michael yes where are you taking us next well there was a lot of talk about the great songs in the last special uh and that leads me perfectly into it it might be my favorite Christmas special of all time, the one and only Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Oh, come on. I, I will tell you that we watched that this weekend, and it fucking gutted me. It's so good and sad and bleak and beautiful. I, imagine, if you will, a scenario where you reach out to Paul Williams – and you're like, I need some songs for a Muppet Christmas special. And he delivers that shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> First of all, a couple of things. I did not realize that 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 the special Evan Otter's Jug Band Christmas predates even the first Muppet movie. In my head, I thought that I that came out in like the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea. Cause, you know, I think that I thought the first time I saw it was the first time it aired. Um, Because I think it was on HBO when I was a kid. So that was the first big surprise that I didn't realize it was as old as it is. Um, I cannot believe how good it is. It's so perfectly done. The song where they're they're singing the one song and then the other song kind of like dovetails perfectly and it turns into a super song. And it turns (laughs) out what they needed all along was each other. Are you kidding me? And then on top of that. How, especially now that I realize it was 1977, 
the one big takeaway for me is that the Riverbottom Nightmare Band absolutely deserved to win that, that, that talent contest. That song is a juggernaut. It's amazing. It's it's like like Fog Hat and the MC5 combined, and it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I in the in the most recent watching, I was just like. It got me on every level. I laughed. I cried. <laughs> it really, really got me. I was really excited about it. I point this out every time the River Bottom Nightmare Band comes up in my life. But my favorite thing about the River Bottom Nightmare Band is that the fish's only purpose in the band is to spit water at the <laughs> audience. Yes. Yeah. He's just like, well, I can't really play an instrument, but... <laughs> He's like uh, the he's like the Boston from yes. the Mighty yes. Mighty Bostones, <laughs> or the guy from a veil. <laughs> yes, he's like Bobo from a veil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the Nightmare Band is sort of sort of played hmm. off as the antagonists in the story, but they absolutely, Michael, you're right, deserve that win. That was they they're, they're a great yeah. band. I mean, and the thing, they're dicks. They steal Kermit's yeah. scarf. They knock over all the shit in the music store. But when it comes to the performance of live music, I'm sorry. That is, the goods. they really, I mean, they got a light show. They, yeah, <laughs> they, they are all pro. <laughs> And sometimes that's what life is like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that you're right. Sometimes. Well, in the, and like, all right. So that also brings me back to like the weird, the, the animal hierarchy where there are ducks just swimming around in the <laughs> pond who are just ducks yep. hanging out like right next to Emma Otter who's wearing yeah, a, yeah. a coat. And the first time I saw it in HBO and it was like, there were, you know, you know, like there was not a lot of occasions where my dad would be completely transfixed by something like that. But I remember watching it. My dad just stopping in his tracks and being like, "Okay, let's let's uh, let's see how this plays out." Because it's just so fantastic. All the, I mean, the 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 thing that sticks out to me is always the music. It's like they he Paul Williams com, com, created just a, an entire well, like sort of a, not a genre, but I know where he was getting, that whole river life kind of folk sing-along kind of thing he just delivers so perfectly and how none of the songs are like particularly christmasy no yeah they're they're about they're about life you know about, or end about death yes about <laughs> dead fathers this is a this is a special that i introduced to my kids when they were very young and i was like what is it about this depressing slow-moving special that's not enchanting you um <laughs> but now that they're a little older like we we watched this over the weekend too and they were like transfixed yeah yeah you know they we were all spending time with the people of frogtown hollow and it was <laughs> it was great i i love this special yeah there's sort of a gift of the magi thing in there oh, yeah. and the but the idea of like taking a creative risk and not go on the safe route, you know, like poking a hole in the wash tub so that you can play in the it's just it 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 really does deliver on every metric that you could imagine. It's perfect. When you look at the the way they establish such a deep relationship between Emmett and his mother, like you feel 
their relationship. And obviously they have the death of the father is hanging over the show, but they're, it, it's mother and son and it's the deep best friend thing they have going at the same mm-hmm. time. And she's got the, the fun streak in her to, I'm going to race you out to go down the ice slide, you know, right. those, those little moments like that, the, the way that you feel those characters and you're looking at, you know, fuzzy bits of otter puppets, but the way they live, and I mean, you can go down the line of the history of Muppets, and uh, you know, we, we've all fallen in love with the Muppets in so many ways. But I think you, maybe even more so than any other, you really feel like those are real, real characters. Right. Well, it's and it's all you know. I remember being a kid and thinking it was like the first time I'd ever count, encountered a situation where like the father had died, but there was enough time had passed that they were like they could talk and kind of joke like joke like you know have a pleasant memory right because when you're a little kid you know that that's sort of an unfathomable thing and you don't ever think that you could possibly get to a point where you're like having a fond joking memory of 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 a, of a loved one who's passed but that's kind of what happens right you you have to kind of move on yeah it's a heavy concept to lay down just as you're laying backstory for your Christmas puppet show you know? for your Christmas puppet show. Exactly. But they did it. Yeah. And also it always strikes me too, that it's, it's rare where the Muppets, it's not often that the Muppets use marionettes. Right. But in this, there's a lot of wide shots where the, where they're like, when they're sliding down the slide, or when they're walking down the street in the city where they're, they're marionettes. And I, that, that was the thing that struck me this time watching. I was like, Oh Yeah. They don't usually – there's not a lot of Muppet marionettes. I think they were trying some different forms of puppetry with right. this. And I also think um, like more so than uh, your standard issue Muppet uh, endeavor, this one feels a lot more like a children's storybook coming right. to life. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I read a little bit that that was kind of they, – they they did this as almost like a, a – like a, you know, the – Almost like the canary in the coal mine. Like, can we do a full production? You know, it was like a test run for the Muppet movie, which only came out right. a couple of years later, which Paul Williams also did the music for. So, yeah, yeah, because this is not we we can't just do a TV show where here's a Muppet standing behind a wall, right? You know, right. <laughs> which is the, the standard Muppet shot. No, this is going to be cinematic, and so they have to, yeah, figure that out. How do we show? characters walking on ice or sliding down a hill or the rowboat you know that that was breaking technological ground for the muppet crew to be able to have muppets going through actual water (laughs) in a rowboat i also i love also that the happy ending is that they get regular work and are able to just eat <laughs> yes. themselves yeah, and survive. Like it's not the yeah, Willy man. Wonka win the lottery <laughs> no. ending. It's right. Uh, it's can, the it's the free mashed potatoes yes. and, and work play. for your potatoes. Yeah, sing day. for your supper. <laughs> the magical ending is artists get paid. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. right. Totally. Dare to dream. Now, my next pick actually is from. Uh, the mind of Jim Henson as well. I genuinely believe that Jim Henson was a genius Yeah, that if he had not existed, like there would not have been like with some other stuff, like, okay, like I, I love punk rock music, but if you take one person out, it still would have happened. Right. 
Um, whereas I feel like without Jim Henson, a whole bunch of shit never would have happened. Absolutely. It's I, I always think of the Muppets as like the great, like whenever I get down about everything and the way everything is i think well <laughs> at least we're on the same timeline as the muppets existing like okay <laughs> and and the muppets like as you just mentioned in, in your pick have a storied uh christmas adjacent tradition um i think uh, my, my pick is not uh emmett otter but i love emmett otter i love christmas eve on sesame street i think that special is Mm-hmm. fantastic and also has uh some really great songs and is weirdly affecting uh but my actual pick is oh and and i love muppet christmas carol which is a movie mm-hmm. um so i couldn't pick that uh but muppet family christmas from 1987 is like one of the last things that jim henson was directly involved in before he died and it is like one of my it may be like my favorite christmas special it is so great and it sort of functions as a jim henson version of avengers endgame where (laughs) uh it's it's got the muppets but it's also got the sesame street characters and it's got the fraggles and it's got the muppet babies they all kind of come together and convene on fozzy bear's mother's house for the holidays it's um it doesn't have like a ton of conflict but it's just about kind of these characters working together to make uh christmas work it's super heartwarming it is super funny it uh has an appearance at the end by jim henson sort of uh there's it ends with like a big sing-along of all the characters just singing different christmas songs and then it cuts to jim henson and sprocket the dog from Fraggle Rock and Jim Henson's doing the dishes just saying like, yeah, they look happy. I like it when they look happy. And like, and he died like right after they shot this. Oh, Jesus. Watch it now. And it's like where he's sort of looking over his creations like a benevolent God. Yeah. Special. It is really, um, it is really affecting. Yeah. Getting a little worked up talking about it now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this special so much. It's great. I've seen it several times, and I just saw it again this year, and I forgot how good it is. Like I I knew for me, and again, I'm a comic book guy, and yeah, like 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 Endgame, you know, Justice League. It has that appeal to me that we're getting everybody together, a big crossover event, and that's how I always think of it. Is oh, that's cool. Yeah, Muppets, Sesame Street, Fraggles, all together, great. But beyond the gimmick of all of them being together yeah it's it's so well done it's so sweet it's simple in the fact that there's yeah not a not a complicated plot it's we're all go, going to show up at this house together and because of rights issues where disney owns the muppets and children's television workshop owns the sesame street characters and henson production owns the fraggles like they they can't release it now like you can't watch it on disney plus i the only way you can see it right now is on YouTube, I think. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like bootleg copies, although people have sort of like used AI to upscale it to high definition. Mm. So there's some nice looking copies on YouTube now. And I love how Miss Piggy answers the phone by saying, Joyu Noel. Um, <laughs> there's an icy patch at the doorway gag. And I love how your favorite Muppet, Ralph, uh, loves out-of-tune pianos, Michael. <laughs> I love Ralph so much. 
And I, it's because I'm a frustrated musician who would love nothing more than to just sit at a piano all the time and play it. But I know for a fact that I give off a definitive Fozzie Bear kind of energy. And I'm fine with that. I get it. I tell the stupid jokes and I'm very abulian and whatever. And so it's it's not like, you know, I'm disappointed in that, but I I fucking love Ralph so much. Just the idea that like, like what's Ralph doing? playing the piano that's what he's doing that's what he does once in a while he sits in with the electric mayhem which i dig but he's not a full member because he's got other he's got other irons in the fire he's a working musician <laughs> he's like he's like how red man's not a member of the wu-tang clan yes he's <laughs> that is that is that is a man that's perfect very much the way that red man is not actually a member of the wu-tang clan and yet on the most recent wu-tang album he's on it more than most of the <laughs> like you got is like you couldn't have called me and red man's on four songs there's a scene where all the muppets are entering uh fozzy's mom's house and san diego turns to the camera and says why am i here <laughs> oh good <laughs> i do love some san diego oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, oh man the muppets god <laughs> I, I i heard someone describe fozzy once and and it gave me a kind of a new appreciation for the character i, I don't remember who said this but someone said once fozzy he's so desperate to get everyone to love him that he can't see that everyone already does oh man you know <laughs> that's nice that yeah. was nice <laughs> i kind of i know we each have one more, but I kind of feel like that one, you really, you really tied the, that part of this part of the, uh, the podcast together there, Kevin, that was, <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> okay. I know this is tough to top. Uh, and I, and you know what, I think, I think my final pick is, is pretty good. And I'm sure you guys have pretty good ones too. Kevin, <laughs> what do you got? Okay. Top of my list tonight. Um, uh, not going to be from Rankin Bass, although we're leaving so many classic Rankin Bass on the table. But I'm going back to this is probably my very favorite Christmas show. And I, perhaps not by coincidence, not sure, but this was the first full length TV animated Christmas special. So this predates Rudolph. You know, so Rudolph, what a run that we were on in the mid 60s where Rudolph was 64, Charlie Brown was 65, The Grinch was 66. Three years in a row, just knocking them out, wow. those classics. But we got to roll back a couple of years earlier, 1962, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. Oh, this was, yeah, you're right. This was the first animated holiday special. It's yep. It's weird because I've seen it, but man. I think I was six. Like, I, yeah, I, well, this is another one that's kind of gotten lost and and forgotten by most people. And it's it's been around. It's still. I don't know if anyone shows it or if it streams anywhere, but it certainly had DVD releases over the years. So it's it's accessible. It's out there, and it is magnificent. Uh, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. It's a it's an awfully faithful retelling of, of Christmas Carol. It's my favorite version of a Christmas Carol, live action or animated or otherwise. Uh, it's sort of a play within a play, in that it actually it's it's takes place on Broadway. Like it opens with Mr. Magoo on his way to the Broadway theater, where he is starring as Ebenezer Scrooge in a production of a Christmas Carol. Uh, the music is magnificent they got 
actual Broadway composers to make the songs. These are Broadway caliber songs throughout the whole show. Uh, it's also, and again, this goes back to like we were talking about before, these early Christmas specials, it was before anybody knew what was expected to be in a Christmas special. And so right. they could get away with a lot more than they than they, they would be able to later. And it's a very serious adaptation, uh, even though it's, it's Mr. Magoo, you know, so everything, the characters are in that style, they look funny, but most of the story is very straight and uh, using language right out of Dickens. They're pulling a lot of the, the script is straight from the book. And so it's that old timey language that I think kids would even have a hard time following in places, but it's there. Uh, It's just magnificent. Uh, I, I, and I know most people, I think at this point have forgotten about it. I would really recommend people go track it down. Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. You will be rewarded. That sounds awesome. I watched this uh, last night. Uh, We did a double feature of Emmett Honor and Mr. (laughs) Magoo's Christmas Carol. Nice. Uh, And this is not one I I tend to put on every year for the kids. But um, one thing that has been interesting uh, is Christmas Carol is probably, and I think this is probably the true when I was true when I was a kid too. Um, it's the first story that my kids have seen like multiple adaptations of, and are mm. sort of picking up on the differences between adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we watched Mister Magoo, my daughter Cleo was was like, "So in this one, the Ghost of Christmas Present comes first. So she was she found that <laughs> yeah. very interesting that they decided yes, to, they, to they go that switched, way. They switched the order of the ghosts. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's Christmas present and then and then past, then future. Um, and I, I just feel like the, the character of Quincy Magoo is not on a lot of kids' radar the way – like when I was a kid, I knew who Mr. Magoo was. I don't think my kids yeah. – yeah. know who Mr. Magoo is. Yeah. Like he's, he's Which not... arguably is for the best because yes. it's a, a problematic character yeah. at, at least a couple of levels. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is are you, is Mr. Magoo's first name Quincy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't fucking know that. What? <laughs> you, just, you just rattled that off, Kevin. Like that was just conventional wisdom. And I'm like... Uh, what? <laughs> Are you telling me that Mr. Magoo has a first name and that his first name is Quincy? <laughs> but the now, now, one thing that, that's nice about this is that the, for the most part, the problematic elements of the traditional Mr. Magoo cartoons are not present in this show. And that's the, the kind of uh laughing at a severely nearsighted old man <laughs> aspect really isn't there they, they do a handful of those type of gags in the um the the bridging sequence the uh, on his way to the broadway theater he's walking into traffic on broadway and walking through <laughs> the wrong door that kind of thing and within the actual uh christmas carol story there's only a little bit right towards the end they get in a couple of little visual gags like that but for the most part the Magoo can't see where he's going thing is not part of the main story, which is nice because that would probably be a, a bit of a distraction. <laughs> but the, and, and the, the very most problematic element of the old Magoo cartoons, uh, which would be his houseboy, uh, is, is not in the show at all, thankfully. 
Yeah, and I, I think that character was on the TV show, but not in the um, theatrical shorts. Yeah, I think so. Um, but but yeah, Mr. Magoo has, has fallen aside from the culture of permanent, which I don't think has helped uh, in terms of <laughs> annual viewings of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. I think, yeah. I think it was, was aired on network TV somewhat recently mm. um, as sort of a, like it was billed as kind of like, it was the first holiday special. Um, and you're right. It, it's very well done. The songs are uh super interesting there's one about yep. razzleberry dressing oh which yeah there I is find <laughs> fascinating and on the tree a star of shiny christmas gold a candle in a jar of razzleberry dressing yeah oh and, and the uh then the 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 characters that, that rob all his stuff you know out of his house at, at the end you're like i got his bed sheets and all those characters the song they do is just suddenly they're taking the whole thing up a level you got at the <laughs> the whole thing's big magnificent and then suddenly like the these grave robber characters are just on another level the song they do is incredible we're we make I, I have a whole book about Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. So a few years ago, somebody produced this big, deluxe, beautiful book all about this show, which is remarkable. And in that book, I learned that um, the night the show first aired in 1962, and now I can't remember the, the name of the producer involved, but the, the producer got a phone call that night and was told, this is a classic. People are going to be watching this for generations. The guy that called him was Walt Disney. Oh, wow. I've, I've described it in the past as they, this was done uh, on a, a limited budget. It was done quickly and they didn't really know what they were doing because no one had ever done this before. And they accidentally made a masterpiece. Those are the best kind of masterpieces. Sure. Absolutely. And I do think there's something about the story of a Christmas Carol that, seems to lend itself to a lot of different types of adaptations. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like Batman. You can do it a bunch of different ways and it still <laughs> sure. works. Um, and, you know, Michael and I have a, a grumpy friend who insists that a Christmas Carol is terrible. Uh, but I feel like, um, you know, if, for a story to have endured as much as it has like 150 years after it was written, <laughs> right. Uh, there's gotta be something there. <laughs> I think your grumpy friend needs to uh, experience a few visitors later tonight that might uh, <laughs> change his mind. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the thing. It's it's just got that pleasing, like he's an asshole, and then he has he gets the shit scared out of him, and then he's not an asshole anymore. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, the themes of poor people and rich people, and, you know, that's as fresh as today's headlines. And, yeah. And I also... I, I'm always struck with every adaptation of, of a Christmas Carol. It's it's it moves. It's not, it doesn't overstay. It's welcome. It's got yeah. pep. I think because it was a novella, not a yeah. novel. So yeah. you can, just, like, there are, there are half hour animated versions of, of a Christmas Carol that, that work. There's a beautifully drawn one from the late sixties that has Alistair Sim, who did like the 1950 movie versions, uh, voicing Scrooge. And it's, it's beautiful to look at. Yeah. Um, Rick and Bass did it. They they did a cartoon version called Stingiest Man in Town. Yeah, uh the the Mickey's Christmas Carol is maybe 24 minutes long, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm, so yeah. you can you can do it quickly or you can do it feature length. 
and add some songs or you can do it in, you know, uh, Magoo's I think is uh, 52 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Magoo is a long one. Every, every sitcom in the, in the seventies did it. You know? right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mel from Mel's diner gets visited by ghosts, that kind of thing. Alex P. Keaton gets visited <laughs> by ghosts. Yes. I, um, I always really liked Blackadder's Christmas Carol where he starts uh, the special out as the nicest man in London and, uh, is visited by ghosts and they inadvertently turn him horrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> Michael. Yes. My, uh, my third choice is not a favorite. Uh, it's something that I wish was a lot better, but it exists. And as a kid, I was really excited about it. Um, it's the Opus, the Penguins, a wish for wings that work. Oh, yeah. uh, there are so much that does not work. It's really it like so you just said a minute ago that sometimes, you know, you can there can be a a small budget and something can be done really quickly and accidentally create a masterpiece. Uh, This was done with not a lot of budget and kind of rushed and it's kind of a piece of shit. (laughs) Um, It's based on a short story that Berkeley Breathe did. Um, I remember being really, really nervous as I'm I'm a huge fan of, of Bloom County. I love Bloom County almost more than anything. <laughs> I remember being very nervous about the voicing of Opus. And I also remember being kind of bummed when I when I heard that it was just sort of like adjacent to the Bloom County universe, but not necessarily set in it or Outland, which by that time was actually, uh, had already, I think, been airing in, uh, airing, had been being printed in, <laughs> in, uh, in newspapers for a little while because Ronald Ann is a, is a character in it. Um, I remember as a kid being pretty satisfied with the with the choice of who they did the voice for Opus on my more recent watching. Um, it wasn't great. <laughs> it's the guy who does a uh, handy Smurf, <laughs> I believe. Oh, as a, oh. And uh, he's also the guy who does uh, the voice of Duke in from the uh, from the um, G.I. Joe series and movie. Duke and Opus have uh, many things in common. Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things like in theory, um, I wanted it to be amazing. I own it on DVD because it is, you know, it it shares some, uh, some DNA with, with uh, Bloom County. I certainly consider it, but it's pretty cheaply animated. Um, It is kind of interesting that because at the time, uh, Ron, uh, sorry, Robin Williams and um, Dustin Hoffman, who are in the who are at the time filming Hook, have cameo voices in it. Oh wow! Uh, Robin Williams is is uh, listed as Sudi Nim instead of his own name. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a kind of an interesting museum piece. And there's a couple of c- cool little gags that land. You know, there's a there's a Christmas caroler kind of set in the background who is clearly supposed to be a not dead Elvis um, <laughs> joining in a, in a Christmas. And, you know, Bill the Cat is in it. And I, I, I thought it was a cool that they didn't give Bill the Cat a voice. He just kind of goes, and, you know, <laughs> and doesn't really have much to say. Um but other than that, I just I you know every time I watch it, I think if because I I think you can tell that the the author of Bloom County didn't I feel like he didn't have enough faith in the process to give all of his characters over to it. But there would have been so many great possibilities had he 
there's a scene where they're setting up like he's trying to fly. And if they had had Cutter John in his in his wheelchair with all the other woodland creatures like assisting him to like launch him through the air with balloons, I feel like that would have played really, really well. But uh, there's no such <laughs> there's no there's no such uh, presence in it. And uh, that's kind of a bummer. Sorry to go down on a on a sour note. It's it's just I wanted to see an animated opus, and I got that, but there's not much else to to hang on to there. As you know, Michael, since uh, I, I believe the first conversation you and I ever had was about Bloom County. Yep, I, like I'm a huge Bloom County fan too, and I feel like this special does not like in a way that like Charlie Brown Christmas I think really captured what was great and special about Peanuts. This special did not capture what was great and special about. Berkeley Breathed's comic at story. all. At and all. I think yeah. it's because he had written this as a children's book and tried to adapt that. And I always felt what made Bloom County work was the ensemble and the mm-hmm. different characters and how they bounced off each other. I think Bloom County had really strong, funny characters. Um, like the whole uh, plot of the special is Opus wants to fly and he's a flightless waterfowl and doesn't fly and in the comic strip that was never a thing right very rarely would they mention that he he has wings that don't work but it was not a defining characteristic of Mm. opus so it didn't feel super true to the opus character um you know there's a bloom county sunday strip around christmas where uh milo and portnoy and binkley and hodgepodge all kind of like conspire to give him a present that they say is from opus's mom which is like a space zap helmet and that is a much better christmas story right because he's without a mother and yeah and he's feeling because lonely. opus's opus's weird stuff about not having a mom was absolutely a defining character trait right for him but the wing stuff was not and i feel like you could you could do like that one sunday comic strip was way more christmasy and heartwarming than wish for things that work. And you could have done an amazing Bloom Country right. Christmas special. It, it, yeah, it could have absolutely been a, a, a special about your chosen family versus, you know, your your biological family and the people that are around you are your family. You know, like, yeah, it all plays out so perfectly. And this is just not that. Which is you funny know, that he not gets, only he gets, har- he gets harassed by ducks, he should be getting harassed by Steve Dallas. He should be getting harassed by Portnoy and Hodgepodge. That's the whole thing. And it's it's actually funny that I, I wasn't sure what, what order I was going to do these in. And it's funny that I chose this as the last one because it's clearly the weakest link of them all. <laughs> it's just that I like Opus so much. You know what I mean? That I, you know, to see him animated even sort of poorly and 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 in a half-ass way is is still actually pretty magical. But yeah, there's not there's not a lot of meat on the uh, on the on the bone there. The Breathed and like he, he was one of those rare cartoonists that wanted insisted on such creative control and was willing to stop. Yeah. Which is very unusual in comic strips. They just go forever, you know, unless the syndicate cancels you, the artist wants. But but when you look at at uh, at Brethren, at Bill Watterson and Gary Larson, and there, there's just a handful of guys of that generation that were like, no, this is the thing. This is what, what my work needs to be. And when I'm done doing it, we're done unless I say otherwise. Right. So this show, and this is a blind spot for me because I don't think I've ever seen this cartoon, uh, uh, Wish for Wings That Work. But this seems like a case where 
if other creative hands were involved and then it was a weaker product as a result, it sounds like. You know, you think about, like you'd mentioned the Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas. And like Dr. Seuss is another kind of idiosyncratic artist who would not the easiest thing to translate, but he yeah. teamed up with Chuck Jones, right, the great right. Looney Tunes director, and made something that is arguably... It's perfect. Yeah, that is way <laughs> better than it should yeah, be. Yeah, that's a fantastic yeah. point. Is there's yeah, there's an example of a singular creative talent partnering with exactly the right people to make the perfect adaptation into a different form. Yeah. Uh, now, how the Grinch stole Christmas could easily be uh, my final pick. Oh, sure. It is not because my final pick is Christmas at Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh man, <laughs> is uh, also from the late '80s. And it's, uh, you know, basically a primetime special version of the Pee-wee's Playhouse TV show. Uh, it has, it is stacked with guests. You've got Oprah Winfrey, you've got Grace Jones, you've got Little Richard, you've got Zsa Zsa Gabor, you've got Joan Rivers, you've got Cher, the Del Rubio triplets, Magic Johnson, Dinah Shore, Whoopi Goldberg, Frankie Avalon, Annette Funicello, Katie Lang, and motherfucking Charo all getting together <laughs> with Pee Wee and the Playhouse gang to celebrate the holidays in the most insane way possible. I love it. I love it. I love it so <laughs> much yeah um, it is uh for a while it was on netflix and it's not on netflix anymore but uh Wee herman's estate have put it up a uh, high def version up for free on youtube nice. for the holiday season so i implore you all to go out and watch mm. it it is like there's probably no better way to celebrate uh paul rubin's life during this holiday season it again it is uh both heartwarming and weirdly subversive uh, the fact that they were able to get something this kind of culturally queer on network television in yep. prime time during the Reagan administration is astounding. Um, it is uh, just unbelievably delightful. I, I remember watching it when it aired and thinking like, how is how is it possible that I'm watching this on television right now? It's so <laughs> it fucking insanely good. I love the gag where he's ice skating and then it's like cuts to a body double and it's clearly not him ice skating and then it comes back and he's like, it's, it's amazing. There's a lot of really good gags in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen this, Kevin? Yes, I have. And, I, I, you know, I don't think I'd ever seen it from start to finish until this year. And um, I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I love the weirdness of it. And and yeah, the 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 quality of the the comedy is there. It's funny exactly where it needs to be. It's just bizarre, all over the place. Um, at one point, uh, my wife asked me, "Wait, who are the Del Rubio triplets?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, that's that's about it. There's really a, see them. That's it. That's the Del Rubio triplets. That's the Del Rubio triplets. <laughs> you got it. It's, you're soaking in it." <laughs> i liked them for the special yeah i like dinah shore uh just left on her own on, on the phone call just doing more and more days of christmas uh, i love how greedy peewee is throughout the special about getting <laughs> presents like how, how present focused he is until the very very end I knew you'd come. Here's your milk and cookies. Just the way you like them. Mm, cookies. <laughs> but first, 
Did you bring me all the presents I asked you for? Well, yes, of course I did, Pee-wee. Well, then help yourself. <laughs> I mean, Christmas specials, especially like we didn't get too much into kind of the variety special sort of Christmas right. special, but those were absolutely a huge thing in the 60s and 70s. And that this is kind of a special, uh, it, it both sends up and is the thing. <laughs> More like, you know, it's kind of like a Bob Hope Christmas special, but it's also making fun of a Bob Hope Christmas special. It gets it gets to be both and, um, which is one of the genius things about Paul Rubens. And I felt like as this year of all years, I couldn't not mention uh, Christmas yeah. at Peter's Playhouse. I, this is another one that I make sure to spin at least once every holiday season. Yeah. Losing PW was a rough one. <laughs> yep. My wish is that there's peace on Earth that everybody has the very merriest of Christmases and a happy new year. And uh, that brings us to the end of our Christmas special roundup jamboree. I feel like even the ones that um, our honorable mentions have sort of gotten a, a, a passing mention in like in our discussion, like the oh, Grinch. Yeah. And, we sneaked uh, a lot of extras in. Yeah, the many other Rankin Bass specials. <laughs> I, I I stand for Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Um, so but oh man, uh if you hear this before the twenty-fifth, uh, and you are a person who like like me, uh is really into cultural celebrations of Christmas, even if you're not super religious, uh I would definitely Take one of these suggestions and and enjoy the holiday season with it. Absolutely. Happy holidays, everyone. Yes, Kevin. Uh, yeah. You want to tell us where people can find you when you're not blabbing about holiday specials with us? <laughs> when I'm making a rare uh, non-skateboarding appearance. Uh, on this show uh my regular podcast is called the Flopcast. uh we're part of the eso network and it's my wonderful co-host cornflake and i get together every single week for the past 11 years and discuss silly things and at uh, this time of year there's always plenty of uh animated holiday special talk just like this because yeah we we keep revisiting this kind of subject around the flopcast without fail every year but uh lots of just silly goofy fun over there so yeah find us on the eso network or find us at flopcast.net always excited uh when december it's uh, for Flopcast listening. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening and happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at gleamingthetube and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Skateboarding is not a crime.